Thank you all for uh, extending your passing of the piece today as we were getting ready here today. Uh, we are really uh, thrilled to have Candace Coleman here with us today. This is going to be a uh, different kind of reflection. Normally at this time we do what is called a testimony where we invite someone from our community to come up and share a little bit about what God is doing in their life. We're kind of morphing our testimony and sermon today. And so I'm going to introduce Candace in a moment and we're going to do kind of a, a, a Q&A, kind of a, a reflection and I'll uh, share more about who Candace is and why we're thrilled to have her today. Before we do that, I'm going to read our scripture, and so you can follow along uh, up on the screen. This is a passage from the Gospel of John, often read uh, around this time uh, after Easter. So this, we read the story in John 20, uh, the wonderful story, new good news of resurrection, uh, and today this is what happens next. So this is John 20. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and in my, and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. This is the word of God for the people of God. So as I mentioned uh, earlier, we are thrilled uh, to have Candace Coleman uh, with us today. Candace works for Access Living. Uh, she is uh, a native of the south side of Chicago. Uh, and uh, did I hear a clap? Uh, yeah. uh, one clap? She works closely with, uh, as part of working with Access Living, uh, work closely with disabled people affected by the justice system to organize around racial justice and disability. Her work includes anti-bullying, the school to prison pipeline, restorative justice, and police brutality. She is dedicated to teaching disabled people of color to take pride in all aspects of their identities so they can become leaders themselves. She has spoken around the country and her pioneering work has been featured in news stories by the BBC, WBEZ, and the Chicago Defender. She was named the Adapt Woman of the Year in 2018 as part of 35 Under 35 by Chicago Scholars in 2017. In 2019, she was appointed to the Illinois Council on Women and Girls. In 2020, she was appointed to the City of Chicago's Racial Equity Advisory Committee. Uh, when I was first communicating, uh, we have a common friend uh, who works for Access Living, and I reached out to her, Daisy Fight, uh, and when Daisy recommended Candace, and I was communicating with Candace, uh, or Daisy, and I said, well, it's going to be a busy weekend because Candace is going to the White House. Uh, 
and I thought, huh, and I thought my schedule was a little busy. Uh, so Candace is rubbing elbows with all kinds of folks uh, these days. Uh, but would you please welcome Candace here today? So Candace, uh, why don't you, uh, I, I kind of read uh, part of your bio, but why don't um, I'll just start by asking you to share a little bit about who you are, more uh, of your story, so that the rest of us kind of hear part of that, uh, and as part of that, um, talking about uh, your own disability and your advocacy work and how this ties into your faith as a Christian. It's a lot there. Um, so, as my bio said, I am from the south side of Chicago. I come from a middle, poor class family. Um, and growing up on the south side of Inglewood, I come from a, a community that was a community then. All the neighbors knew each other. We grew up as cousins. Um, and I was the most physically disabled person within the community. So everyone felt the need to take care of me. Um, Growing up on the South Side, um, I went uh, to high school at John Hope College Prep. Um, but my story has a little bit of difference from an average uh, student um, because the thing, I have multiple disabilities. So I have cerebral palsy, I have asthma, I'm hard of hearing in one ear, and I'm definitely attention deficit. <laughs> and so with all that being said, asthma tried to take me out of the world a couple of times, which means that Outside of my physical surgeries, um, I spent a lot of time in hospital settings because I had to be healed from whatever was going on. Uh, if you ask me today, if they just would have took an allergy test, I would have bypassed a lot of those hospital visits. But um, that being said, um, because of my surgeries and hospital extended stays, I had to be homeschooled um, in the early uh, areas of education. So by the time I, I really got a chance to be a part of school, I, it was around about eighth grade high school. Um, and so my experience of, of growing up being homeschooled, a person with a disability and going through education at the same time really shifted how I perceived uh, the world. And so my body also transitioned through those various age uh, areas. So um, according to the doctors, I would never walk. I didn't walk until I was three. Um, and then I had to walk with assistive technology, um, including a cane, a walker, and a wheelchair. Um, and so until I was about 16, I was a wheelchair user and could not navigate the inaccessible world as it was freely. And so when I said that the community took care of me, um, because I lived in an inaccessible home, my neighbors would carry me up the stairs from my mom so that she wouldn't have to. Um, when I had my first surgery, I was actually in a body cast from here to my feet, and I had to be transported with the ambulance through all of Chicago's potholes, by the way. <laughs> um, but then when I got through all of the surgeries and all of the rehab to learn how to walk three times, um, I was able to graduate and go off to college in Louisiana, actually Grambling. And I went far away because I didn't want people to stigmatize me and limit, you know, all that I could do. Because when you're growing up in a, in a family, they think you can do one thing, and when you're basing it off the systems that tell you how to say who you are, they think you can do one thing. So I'm like, okay, I'm out of here. I'm gonna figure it out. Um, and so I, I went to school in Louisiana, um, graduated, and then came back to Chicago. The industry of access, living, disability rights, I literally fell into it because everyone kept saying that there were services and supports out there for people with disabilities. I just didn't have a clue. 
when I tried to get access to those services, they actually told me that I was not disabled enough. So, imagine on one end saying you're disabled and then the other end saying you're not disabled enough, but where do I fit? Um, and so the journey of me actually getting access to women, I have made a decision. I'm very, very, very passionate and I'm very, very, very stubborn. <laughs> um, and so that, and inquisitive. So that being said, I decided that I would not just wait for employment. Um, I had worked in the youth development field. I had aspired to be a manager in music management because I love music. Um, and so when I graduated college, I decided that I wanted to work in youth work because in school setting is so restrictive and you don't get to teach proper education and everything is outdated. Um, not to mention a lot of school buildings are inaccessible. Um, and so my first job I actually had to quit because my office was on the second floor and the physicality of trying to go up the stairs every day just took a toll on my body. Um, and so when I transitioned into disability rights work, I'm the baby of the the founding fathers of the disability rights movement because the ADA passed in 1990. I was born in 85. And so um, school uh, inclusive school environments, making sure the government buildings are accessible and making sure that we have rights to not be discriminated, such as in the civil rights through the ADA, I actually lived and grew up through. Um, so when I came to the doors of Access Living, I actually got there because I decided that I would mentor until I could get employment. Well, when I was on a journey to find employment, um, I met a young lady who was not comfortable with who she was as a person with a disability, was bullied. And so she hung out in nursing homes. All of her friends were senior citizens and she was 22. So I made a pact with her and said, if we go to Access Women together, I'll join the programs and support you and we'll see how it goes. And so we entered the doors and the Holy Spirit said, you're gonna be here for a while. Well, that was 13 years ago. Um, and I, I, I call it the chess game of life. Um, I came in as a, a volunteer learning how to advocate. And then literally within six months, the person that I was under wanted a different job. I applied for his job, he got that job. And that's how I became um, the community organizer for youth at that time. Um, so it's been an interesting journey. <laughs> life changing one to say the least. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you for sharing that. Um, also, I forgot to mention, um, Candace's email is up on the screen. That cell phone number is not her number, that's my number. And so, in the midst of our conversation, if a question comes up uh, for you, feel free, I'm giving you permission to text during worship. Uh, feel free to text me, and I have my phone up here, if you have a question for Candace, and I'm happy to, to convey that uh, for, for her. So Candace, as we looked at our scripture passage today, uh, what I find really interesting is that here we see the, the resurrected Christ and he still has his scars. He reaches out to Thomas and invites Thomas to put uh, Thomas's uh, hands and fingers in, in the scars of Jesus' side and his own hands. So it's interesting that the risen Christ does not have the quote-unquote perfect body. His scars are still there. In fact, it's almost like he's proud of them. Uh, and invites others to explore those scars with her. So I'm wondering, could you reflect a little bit on the fact that that he doesn't have the, what society might consider the perfect body, and yet he still gives new life? Um, when I think about that scripture, one of the things that I think about is the fact that there is no such thing as normal. Um, 
That being said, um, a lot of things as it relates to the disability community, it is absolutely a part of life. It's a normal um, process that happens to various people. If you are a person with a disability or not, you can acquire it either through birth, um, injury, environment, and or just aging. Um, disability is not just things that you see. Um, you can have an invisible disability. When I describe me having asthma, a lot of people don't know that that is like considered a disability. Um, and that is because when we define disability from a social model, not a medical model, uh, whatever is considered normal, if you're opposite of that, then you will have disability pretty much. And if your daily routine requires some sort of assistance, medication, devices, uh, some other assistance, then for us in the disability community, you're a part of the disability community. Um, when you say that one in four people is a person with a disability, and you think about Jesus Christ and being the Son of God and Creator, um, to me, that scripture reflects that it's a reflection of me. Um, it's a reflection of all of us, and, and nothing is perfect. Um, and so I appreciate scripture because when you think about it, it reflects us as individuals being diverse and different. So, uh, along with that too, in a sense, Jesus' body has, has changed uh, with his uh, scars, and yet there is a continuity of his identity. And so I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about that as a person uh, who has a disability. Uh, what does it mean that, that your body changes, and yet that doesn't change, in a sense, who you are? Does that make sense? Or it's part of who you are. And so I wonder if you could reflect a little bit on that. Like I described in my intro, um, I went from not walking at all to walking to having surgery, which stopped me from walking again. <laughs> so I had another surgery, which actually reconstructed my feet um, and elongated all of my muscles. Because um, everyone else's muscles is uh, when, when everyone else's muscles is more like a, a straight rubber band, and mine were like tightened. Um, and so, well, when you just think about various dif different uh, disability types, uh, people are, are different uh, according to like physicality and things that we know, or how we're wired to think, or how we process things. Um, and so, when I think about ever changing, our society changes, everything evolves. Um, we gain insight and perspective through our experiences. And so, when you think about um, Jesus' wounds and his body changing, it, again, back to it's, it's just a reflection of who we are and how we address things. That's why I think it's very important to be inclusive of people with disabilities because we're changing, we're adapting, we're evolving. We just need to figure out how to be accommodated so we can communicate with one another and so that a person with a disability can accomplish the goals and the choices that they want to accomplish. Um, with assistance, of course, in some cases. Yeah. Do you, do you find that um, if somebody sees you walking or using a cane, and if it's somebody you met for the first time, uh, do they, does there, is there a shift? And that they say, oh, here's somebody that either I should feel sorry for, or here's my way of being a nice person and helping, uh, and, and I'm seeing you nodding your head. And so, <laughs> Can you talk about what that process is like? Sure. Uh, I laugh because this is, the gamut is large. Um, so growing up, I walked with a limp. Um, no, 
growing up, I, both of my knees were bent in and my, my uh, knees touched. And so um, when I would go out in public with my family, people would either shy away from me or kids would gravitate towards me to like ask me a lot of questions. And then their parents would be like, don't do that. Um, or people would look at me strange. And so I remember that had a, a direct impact on my self-esteem. Like I'm different. Why are they looking at me like this? What, what's wrong? It's nothing wrong with me. I like everything that everyone else does. Give me that choice and give me that option. And so the first campaign I actually worked on was anti-bullying. I could directly relate um, because in, in the organizing group, which is called Advance Your Leadership Power, uh, the adults, they're like 25, 30, were living out their life based on the experiences that they were having when they were bullied. And so um, in that campaign, I had the part of the empowerment was to combat some of those stigmas that came with them. Um, because of the bullying, um, and I also had to heal from the bullying that I experienced to say that I would push past people's expectations of who I am and what I'm capable of doing. Um, and so having that community and reflection of seeing other people with disabilities be free and also seeing the allyship of creating space for the people with disabilities to be free um, really helped uh, build that anti-bullying campaign and really helped a lot of people in our groups here. That is so helpful to hear that I think for folks for non-disabled people to hear how, and this is perhaps for those of us who aren't, to reflect on how can we create the space to allow a disabled person to be free and to be fully who they are, uh, to use their gifts and graces uh, and everything else. Yeah. Um, one thing that we've talked uh, some about uh, at Urban Village anyway in recent years, and it, we see this in society too, is this word called intersectionality mm -hmm. uh, of for folks to, in, in talking about, in, in your case, it's not just that you are disabled, but also you are a black woman. Absolutely. Uh, and so can you, this is a, maybe a big question, but, uh, and each of those are unique part of who you are, how do you, how do those parts of who you are as a whole affect who you are as a, as a person of faith, as one, as a Christian? Um, so interestingly enough, in religious settings, if you travel across the city of Chicago, one, the buildings are out ancient date. If it's pre-1990, then they're not ADA compliant. Um, two, uh, when I go across cultures and talk about disability, some people have experienced the burden of having a disability with being a curse related to that thing. Um, in other cultures or communities, and even still in America, if you historically look at the involvement of disability, whether it's mental health or um, uh, developmental disability, you are um, institutionalized to think that that person has to be behind some sort of set of closed doors. It could be an institution, a nursing home, or something that hides them from normal public. Um, and so a lot of times, just the way our budgetary systems are set up, the way accommodations are set up, people don't want to put forth the funding and the support to create access first so that people could live free and don't have to hide who they are. And so a lot of uh, shame and historical context of the value of a person with a disability is around hiding some of the best parts of them. And when we talk about inclusivity, 
um, we're pushing past that. So like now we have social media. Social media has allowed um, visibility of various types of disabilities to be in the forefront. Um, having a disability is not an institutionalized learning. You don't hear about it in your education system. You only hear about it if a doctor tells you this is what's going on with your body. Here's what you're not going to be able to do. But a lot of times people push past those standards, um, which is why we have to trust God. Um, and so we're pushing past those standards. That's when we get to the social model of disability. It's not you, the individual, with your diagnosis. It's the environment that we're in. It's the staircase that's put in place because it's the beauty factor of the building. It's the, um, the way that we speak language. And as you go further up in academia, then you gain all of this language that like, people just don't understand. It's the autism, which means that if a person is deaf or hard of hearing, then you're placing everything to be uh, sound when you could be having an ASL interpreter. Um, it's the cognitive um, access that allows you to assist a person with having time. Time is a major factor for being accommodated. And usually we don't have time. The other thing that puts pressure on us as people in general, but also as people with disabilities, is this idea of what productivity looks like. Can you get a job and do X, Y, Z and accomplish it and work? And so if we take away those barriers, we could all um, move more towards being an inclusive society. Yeah. One of the things about the passage, I think, is again going back to this really intimate part of the passage where Jesus and Thomas are, here is the, the disabled Jesus wanting and inviting relationships. Uh, with Thomas and a, a real intimacy uh, for him to say to Thomas, see my wounds, see who I am here. And so perhaps that might be a, a model for those in the disability community and those who are not disabled, just that to begin to establish that kind, those kinds of relationships uh, and, and that kind uh, of intimacy. So I guess if you wouldn't mind, for, for those who are non-disabled, what are a couple of things for us to be able to develop those relationships and to create that space to allow disabled people to be free. I think the first thing I want to say is that we all need support with accomplishing something. And if we start with that baseline, then we could stop looking at um, supporting people with disabilities as uh, extra or like a hotel accommodation or like something that takes a lot. Um, when we talk about relationship, and I always caution people, uh, people think if they have that accommodations with, they've done it, and it's five star, and we're doing this. But one of, one of the things I didn't say about Access Living is that we're a cross-disability organization. Um, and one of the ways that we have to do that is as each person enters into the space, you have to build that relationship to understand what they need and how to be accommodated. Um, I'm actually working on a project now to support victims of gun violence who become disabled. And one of the people in that group said, well, I'm accommodating to everybody all the time. I'm always asking, what do you need? How can I support you? And I'm like, that's the key. Um, having relationships to, to understand and see where they're coming from um, having conversation with them or the person that's supporting them, well, how can you be supportive? Because it's, it's it can be a lot to be supportive of someone in general. Um, it can definitely be a lot for the parent or the person who's supporting 
that person 24-7. Maybe you ask them, can I support you when you get a break? Mm -hmm. Or what ways does support look like for you to be in this space? Um, and that relationship is key um, to not just having assumptions, but having a conversation. And even as you're describing me like as a, a person with a disability, for me, it's okay to say I'm a disabled person. Um, and that is because it's power behind that. Um, when you look at the passage of the ADA and the 504, there are people with disabilities who put their lives on the line to make those laws happen. And every day when we're doing advocacy, people are putting their lives on the line to do their work. And so don't just shift the term or the name because you think it's a negative stigma. Really dig deeper as to how it actually contributes to that person and it's an individual um, choice. And so it's okay if you say you're disabled, I'm okay with that. Yeah. Again, as Jesus was not, he showed his wounds and this is part of who I am. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So um, is there any final thing that you want to uh, share with us today? Or have you kind of covered I think it? I've covered it. Okay, all right. Yeah. Um, I think I've covered it. We got a couple of questions. Uh, maybe afterward, I'll, we, some other folks can can ask you. We're one of cognizant of our, our time today. But whenever we have um, testimony uh, or someone sharing, we pray for them. Okay. Uh, and so we would like to pray for you. Uh, and so uh, folks sitting out there, if you're comfortable doing so, maybe raising a hand as a way of signifying the Spirit uh, being upon uh, Candace. So let us pray. Loving and gracious God, we are thankful for Candace and for her story. You have filled her with your spirit, and she has shown. She has given new ways and new possibilities to so many people, and we are grateful for the ways that you guide her, for the ways that you speak to her, the ways that you fill her with your grace and love so that others can know that as well. May you be with her in days of struggle. May you be with her in days of triumph. And we pray, oh God, that you would continue to guide and share so that the prophetic word that Candace has can be shared not only with those uh, disabled persons, but others in our greater community too, so that we can create that space to make sure that all are free. This is the good news of the gospel. This is the good news of the resurrection. And we pray that all of us might be impacted in that way as it has for Candace. And all of us we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. We thank Candace for being with us. Today.